I want to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Matthew's in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, one of the four Gospels, which is uh, the uh, account of Jesus' life and ministry. And we're in chapter 5. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, where Matthew records Jesus' teaching about the values of the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is about and how it shapes your life. And, and we've said that Jesus is articulating how to flourish in life. This is a vision of how to live in alignment with God that leads to human flourishing. And within this Sermon on the Mount, we're looking, uh, we started last week, this week, and the next two weeks, we're looking at one particular portion and passage, and that is in verses 13 through 16 of Matthew 5. And so I want to read our passage this morning. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, the same text we looked at last week and the same text or the text we're looking at this morning in the next two weeks. Jesus says, he's speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to anyone who's part of his kingdom. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. In these four weeks, we're asking this question, how can we, how can you and me, how can we be blessing to others? How can we help others flourish? Again, this is the idea and the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is presenting a way of flourishing, and, and he asks us to be a part of helping others do it. He says, be salt and light. So what does it look like for you and me, for us to be a blessing to others? Now, last week, we began looking at the idea that blessing others begins by experiencing the blessing of God. And so we looked at the source, the source of blessing. In the next two weeks, we're going to look at tangibly what does it look like to bless others. But this morning, we make a pivot looking at who we're going to bless. Last week, we looked at the source of blessing. This week, we begin looking at the sphere of blessing or the recipients of blessing. Because Jesus, he's, he's not just saying you are salt and light, but he's saying you're salt and light in a particular context. Salt and light of the earth. Salt and light of the world. Later in Matthew, Jesus is going to send his followers to the nations. Jesus calls us to be salt and light in a particular place and culture. And salt and light one of the, the tensions that Matthew and Jesus is bringing to bear here is that when it loses its effectiveness, it's of no use anymore. Salt has an impact on food. You know when there's no salt on fries, they're no good. Or when there's too much salt on something. Uh, recently in the kitchen, I, I love putting salt. I, I'll just take the big container. I don't use the small container. I take like the big container that you fill the small container up with, and I'll just kind of start putting it in. And Megan, before I cook, she'll want to remind me, hey, don't, don't put too much salt in it. 
You know if there is or isn't salt. Light, if you're ever in a dark room and someone shows up and flips on the lights, you know when there is and isn't light. They have impact. Jesus is saying in order to be a blessing, there's going to need to be an impact, a redemptive impact. And so our question this morning as we're making this pivot to think of who we're ministering to, what does it mean to have an impact in our culture today. And here's why this is important to ask. We live in a world and culture that has a different view of what blessing is, a different set of values. And so what does it look like to seek to be a blessing to someone who looks at what you're offering as a curse? How do we understand our cultural moment And seek to be a kingdom people that strive to be a blessing in the midst of it. That's our question this morning. How to be a redemptive impact in a culture that thinks what we have to offer isn't a blessing. So let's look. And I want to drive to kind of where we're going in two ways. One, I want to talk about the tension And then lastly, I want to speak to two concrete ways this plays out today in our culture. First, the tension itself. How to have a redemptive impact. First, we need to be aware of the tensions and the values between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. There is a difference. There is a difference. There is conflict. There is a tension. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with someone and there was a disagreement. Yeah, like all the time, right? I mean, like that's, that's called being married or having roommates or working. We're, we're regularly in conversation and dialogue with people where there's disagreement. Now, if that disagreement is something like someone says, I don't know why anyone would say this, but if someone were to say, you know, Qdoba is better than Chipotle, I, I would think, You are gravely mistaken. But, okay, granted, I suppose there's someone in the world that has that perspective. Or suppose there's a disagreement like the Browns are better than the Bengals. I would think, okay, you know, one can be a fool in that way, but (laughs) time will play itself out and, and we'll see. Or if someone were to have a conviction that Bud Light is better than craft beer, I would think, oh, you know, you're just unenlightened. But a lot of the times, our disagreements are in some of these areas, and you might think, you know, there's just different views, different preferences. But then sometimes you find yourself in a disagreement and in a conversation where it's not just about preferences, but it's about core worldview perspectives. When we think about the difference between the kingdom that Jesus is laying out For us here in Matthew and the kingdom of our world, it is not minor preferences. It gets to and speaks to the very values and worldview and perspective about life, about where is blessing ultimately found. It's why when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we it almost feels like we're in a different world. We read it and we wonder, Jesus, do you Is this just heaven? In fact, some people think this is just the values of some future kingdom because it's so different. 
Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he's outlining what the blessed life is about. And he says things like, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, that their food isn't just food, but it's righteousness. The summary of the kingdom that Jesus is laying out is a way of living where Jesus is king and God is at the center. This is the kingdom that Jesus is laying out. And this is in contrast, in tension with the kingdom of our world, which says, blessed is the one who's materially wealthy. Blessed is the one who has enough power that they can get what they want. Blessed are the confident, not the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for fame. Blessed are those who do not need the rules of some church or religion, but they're free to live how they want. This is what the blessed life is in our culture today. And at the center of this kingdom is you and me. It's self. The gospel of self in contrast to the gospel of Jesus. And there is tension. And it's important that we understand this so that we're not surprised. And here's why. Because as we think about now how to relate to this tension, it brings a few, it it forces us to grapple with how we are to live personally and engage in in a world where there is war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. How do we relate to this tension? One way to relate that Christians can do is to avoid, avoid this. To create our own subculture. To have our own music, our own books, our own schools. And to merely take ourselves out, rapture ourselves out of the world. To create our own Christian kingdom. And so we don't care about impact. There is no impact. We just want to avoid. And sometimes we avoid by just being naive to it. If we can just not think about it. Sometimes we avoid it by placing ourselves outside of culture and just criticizing it. Finding the worst expressions in our minds of what culture has to offer. And just like a movie critic Sit outside with no stake in the game, poking and prodding and criticizing. Another way that we can engage is by assimilating. By entering in and fully adopting the values of the kingdom of the world. Now, there are some things, some values of the kingdom of the world and some ways we assimilate that are fine. (laughs) And sometimes those who avoid culture, they don't quite understand the conflict. They think everything's in conflict. But people who assimilate fully into culture, they're unaware or unwilling to enter into the tensions themselves. They look at the kingdom that Jesus outlines and they say, oh, it's, it's, it's too otherworldly. We want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. Now, there's some ways that this desire for relevance in a hostile kingdom can play out. 
One way we as Christians and churches can try to be relevant in a hostile world is we can adopt some of the practices of the worldly kingdom into how we think of and do church. We can want to be relevant, and so our style of worship and music, and we can set up a way of doing church that's all about consuming. It's all about being materially wealthy. It's all about placing ourselves at the very center of what it means to follow God and at the very center of church. And so we can enter in and out of church experiences and just think, you know, I just don't know. I don't know. The sermon didn't, wasn't, didn't hit me where I'm at. Or the music's not what I preferred. Or they believe something that challenges me a little. And I just, that's just not where I'm at. And so we create this whole way of following God and doing church that places ourselves at the center. That's kingdom of world. Another way we can do it is by changing our theology. That we've so assimilated into the values of our world that we think anything apart from it, any other value system must just be tweaked, must be changed because we want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. Two approaches to the tension, one to avoid, the other to fully assimilate. And what Jesus is saying is no, be salt and light. Enter into the tension, but don't assimilate. Be a blessing. Be a counter-cultural presence and blessing in the tension. Jesus models this himself. He enters into the world. He loves the world. But he challenges some of the cultural values and convictions and assumption as of, it, of his day. And he gives his life on the cross so that people could have the promise of hope and enter into and live out his kingdom ethic. And so as we, this morning, I want to share, take that idea of what it means to be a redemptive impact. I want to apply it in two ways, two tensions as we close out our time this morning. What does it look like to be a redemptive presence in our world today? Two tensions of our world that the kingdom can bring perspective in. The first relates to meaning. The kingdom of God invites us into a story where there is sacred meaning in life. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt had two functions then. Salt was a seasoning agent. It was to taste good, much like we use it today. I mean, fries are just a vehicle for salt. Salt is good, praise the Lord. But also, then, salt was a preserving agent. It preserved food. They didn't have refrigerators. I know, crazy. Like, how did they do it? They had salt to preserve food. Jesus is saying, you are to be a blessing, a preserving and seasoning agent in life. One of the ways we can be a blessing, one of the ways we can season some of the decay in our world is by bringing sacred meaning. Every person as a human being is a meaning-making creature. We can't not seek to find some sense of meaning in what we do. The difference today in our culture is we look to this sense of transcendent meaning and purpose and we try to find it in the imminent world, 
in our work, in money, in our sexuality, in our relationships, in our ideology and politics. What we do is we look at what is right in front of us and we think here, right here, in this practice, in this behavior, in this endeavor, I will find meaning. One way of thinking of this is in the past, to kind of drill this home, in the past, freedom, personal freedom, was the freedom to not live out our impulses. Greek thought, Christian thought, freedom was being able to say no to our internal impulses. Today, freedom is the ability to live out our impulses. And when we do that, meaning is simply what we make of the world. One of the ways we can be a seasoning agent, be a blessing, is to live a life and have a message that says, no, no. meaning is bigger than just your experiences. In fact, when you get in touch with Jesus and his meaning, now it brings perspective to everything that you do, to your work, to your relationships, to your understanding of sexuality and possessions, that there is meaning apart from just the world as you experience it. Jesus offers a way for us to find sacred beauty and meaning in life. And how we do this, you know, one of the things, and I've been personally convicted of this, this past year and especially the past few weeks. Again, understanding the tension between the secular and the sacred, one of the ways we can live it out is prayer. Praying. I know, it's so revolutionary. (laughs) Because we're so shaped by our secular world that says, you are at the center, there is no God, there is no meaning, go and make it for yourself. When we pray, when we pray, we we are putting ourselves at the mercy of God. We are saying, a work and thing needs to be done, and it's not up to my strength and strategy to make it happen. We bring the sacred into the world by being a praying people. Full prayer, doubts, questions, praise, petition. We can be a countercultural presence by praying, bringing the sacred into a secular world. But also, we we can be, be a countercultural presence by looking to Jesus as our authoritative guide. He says, you are the light of the world. Light brings illumination. It brings direction. It brings perspective. We today in our culture, we don't want a guide. We don't want authority. In fact, even the term authority, it probably makes you, oh, no, authority, no. And we see this play out in a number of ways in life. You know, My grandfather and I, anytime I'm leaving my grandparents' house, he always wants to give me directions. And a lot of times if I'm driving down to Cincinnati, he'll just, he'll tell me how to get there. And there's this part of me when he's giving me directions, I just, I, I don't, I can't just say, oh, Grandpa, that's so sweet, but I have GPS on my phone. No, there's this part of me that's actually offended. It's like, Grandpa, I don't need your help. That's really what I think. I don't need your help. I'm not your little grandchild anymore. I'm a grown man, and I can get to where I want to go. But you know, what I found is I can often bring that way of living to life. 
I don't want to guide. I don't want to coach. I want to find my way on my own. And sometimes I'm such a rebellious person that if there's someone who is wanting to help and give some advice, I'll do the opposite. (laughs) I'll go in the opposite direction because there's a part of me being a part of this culture that just doesn't want any authoritative guide, any sense of direction. We want to make our way on our own. And in our culture, it celebrates us. The whole value is breaking free from the past. We look at the previous generations and all we think about is all their mistakes. And we elevate those. And there's no sense of wanting guidance or direction. No, we are going to chart our course. We are going to be the ones who create our path and find life. And is it any wonder that there's so much confusion? We can bless our world by inviting people to have Jesus as their guide. That Jesus can become the authoritative figure in your life. That you don't need to go into the world figuring it all out on your own, creating your own path. But Jesus provides a way of moving forward. And if there's anyone to trust... Jesus is the one who didn't avoid the world or assimilate into the world. He entered into the world as salt, a seasoning and preserving agent as light, illuminating a way for us to experience ultimate flourishing. This morning, are you willing, are we willing To not just pay lip service to the kingdom of God, but to take our life and root it in that good news and that message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for offering good news. Thank you for inviting us to a way of living that brings meaning and beauty sacredness to life and for inviting us to follow you so that we don't have to figure it all out on our own and God life is confusing (laughs) and increasingly in our post-Christian world we find ourselves in this tension and it can feel overwhelming And so, Father, we ask that you would lead us by your Spirit. Help us to pray and help us to follow you wherever you'll go. Amen. Amen. So I'm Jenny Hunt, and we have in this series of salt and light here, we can can sit. Please be seated. Um, We have been having these interviews where we are asking members of our congregation, people who are passionate about this missional identity to share a little bit about what that has looked like for them. And so this morning we have Stephen Poti up here with us, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his journey in this. So to start us off, if you could just tell us a little bit about when it was that you really internalized this missional identity. Sure. I think for me, and thinking about this over the past week, it's been 
more of a process. Um, I, my earliest desires, I think, as a child, and when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grow up, were uh, something around you know the medical field. And I don't particularly know why, but uh, as I went through adolescence and high school and college, God, in different ways, just kept affirming that. And I think sort sort of a process that shaped me and my desire to go into the the field. And there were certain people that God put in my life at different points that really kind of redirected me in terms of why, why God was really calling me to do this. And we all have desires. We all have things we love to do and want to do. Uh, but it's different when it's something that God has, has called you to that he, he wants to use specifically for his kingdom. And so I needed to be reminded of that at various points throughout my life. And I've had mentors and people who have have kind of reminded me, yeah, Stephen, you're going into medicine, you're going to be a physician, but this is how God looks at that, and this is what he wants to to do with that. And so I think no matter what profession or job you have, that's how we should be looking at, um, uh, you know, our role in, in God's kingdom and how he's going to use us individually to, to grow the kingdom uh, throughout the world. Yeah, so share a little bit of the specifics of that. So what has it looked like for you to live out this calling, both personally and vocationally? Uh, yeah, I, I, there's been a lot of different ways that it's been possible. I think, um, fortunately, I have a job that lends itself kind of naturally toward, um, you know, reaching people in a, in a very meaningful way. Not that we can't all do that, but... Um, one of the things I loved about medicine was that you can see someone in need and you have the skills and the ability to really help them. I think the challenge for me has always been going beyond that because um, that's certainly what Christ did. And he healed a lot of people. He obviously um, met tremendous amount of physical needs, but he went further. And um, if you think about the story of Lazarus and and how miraculous it was that he came back to life, well, he ended up dying. I mean, the point of that resurrection was to, to foreshadow the, the, the resurrection that Christ was going to provide for all of us and, and the new life and the salvation that he would bring. And that is, is truly kind of what we should be about and, and sharing with people and living out. So for me, uh, there's a lot of ways to do it practically. Um, my wife, Tiffany, has done an awesome job of this. She volunteers at a uh, free clinic here in Columbus and uh, works with a lot of folks from the refugee communities and folks who don't have necessarily a lot of uh, resources who need uh, health care and, and, you know, sees those patients and takes care of them, uh, helps offer solutions and put them in the right uh, direction toward getting the help they need. Um, we've also done mission work, and that's a pretty, you know, obvious way to... to take our skills and education to other parts of the world and, and do it in the name of, of Christ. Uh, for me, on a daily basis, I struggle with this because I, I feel like every patient I see I could share the gospel with, but that's um, not always uh, something I think about. And so I, I, I need to be reminded, just like we all do, that, um, you know, we're, we're to, well, let me say it this way. One of my mentors used to have this great vision that I, I wanted to share with you guys. And it was a really, it was a wake-up call to me about how I should look at my work. And I know, Jay, you've talked about work a lot over the years and how we should connect what we do on a daily basis, whether it's our job or taking care of our families or whatever, with, with the kingdom. And we need to pray about what that looks like and ask the Lord, what can I do this week 
that's going to connect my work with your kingdom and how you're wanting to bring healing and, and, and life to those around me. And that's a, that's a real challenge because I, I fail at that all the time and I'm not any better at it than anyone else. But um, I, think, I think praying about that is, is something I've been trying to do more lately. And uh, so anyway, I'm rambling, but that's, I hope, gives you some examples of how we in the, in the healthcare um, field, you know, have been able to kind of specifically reach out to others and so. Yeah. So you've kind of said, you know, we're all in this together and not one of us has figured it all out, right? We, there's not a necessarily a silver bullet or whatever, but as, as we are kind of up here and here's our church community who are seeking to grow in this, what would be your encouragement or challenge or even some practical advice for us as we are really seeking to engage more and more with this living on mission? I, I mean, I think the best place to start is, you know, I think we all hopefully have a desire to do that. And I think just being open and honest with the Lord and asking him to show us how we can. I think that that's a real simple place to begin, um, you know, asking God to open your eyes and say, look, how, how can I take the skills and the abilities and the relationships that I have and really use them for your your kingdom? And uh, I, I think it has to begin, at least for me, I, I, in my life, I feel like the Lord uses me the most when I have yielded my own heart and my own desires to his, his rule. And, and when, so when his kingdom is sort of in charge in my own life, then I'm able to, you know, see him work around me. But uh, so I think praying about it and really examining your heart is the first place to start. And for me, I, I would have been tremendously unsuccessful um, at learning these things if God hadn't put other people in my life. So there's been mentors and others um, who have really shaped me and how I've thought about this. And so I think being in a community and, and, and open in relationships with other people who are part of God's kingdom uh, really makes all the difference because we sharpen each other and we, we uh, kind of encourage and, and help each other do this together. Uh, so I, I think starting starting there is, is important, and um, just being willing to take a risk and uh, let let the Lord use you in, in ways that He wants to, without uh, kind of getting in the way, uh, which is something we're pretty good at. Uh, at least I know I am. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess that we are so imperfect in this, that you have called us to be salt, you've called us to be light, you've told us, in fact, this is what we are. This is who we are, and yet we stumble around so often. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would um, sink this identity deeper and deeper into our spirits, that we would believe that this is who we are, Lord, that we would, um, as Stephen said, just we would be honest with you about this desire and about um, our willingness to surrender or our desire to surrender more and more. And so, Lord, we confess that we need you in that. We have nothing to offer in our own strength, and yet um, you've invited us into this. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage to engage the tensions of our culture um, from this place of being rooted in the gospel and what that means for us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your invitation to us. In Jesus' name, amen.